Hi, this is Tom Schultz, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Dweezil Zappa, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Phil Ehart, drummer for the band Kansas, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 295 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 295, we have a special guest, Damian Darlington of the band Brit Floyd is joining us. Now, we typically don't talk uh, to a ton of uh, tribute bands, uh, but I think anyone who's seen either Brit Floyd or Damian's previous band, the Australian Pink Floyd, uh, can attest to the fact that this isn't a, your standard run-of-the-mill tribute band. Uh, Britt Floyd brings an incredible production to their shows. Uh, and they're going to be coming to the western Pennsylvania area at the beginning of March. They're doing a show March 3rd at the War Memorial in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And then two shows at the Benetton Center, Friday, March 4th and Saturday, March 5th. Uh, I know the March 4th show is not quite sold out, but there are very few tickets left. So if you're interested in the show, I would not wait much longer to get your tickets for those. Uh, we're going to get into that interview with Damien. Damien is the lead vocalist, uh, the musical director, guitarist, uh, and as I mentioned, he was in the Australian Pink Floyd as well. Uh, for those of you who might have caught on PBS, uh, either one of the Brit Floyd or the Australian, uh, really have seen the visual impact of the shows that they try to very authentically recreate uh, Pink Floyd. And as Pink Floyd, uh, a lot of their show is based on obviously musicianship and also the imagery of the video wall and things like that. Uh, they do an amazing job of giving you that experience. So without further ado, we're going to talk to Damien Darlington of Brit Floyd.
from the band Brit Floyd, we have Damien Darlington on the phone. How you doing, Damien? I'm doing very good, thank you. I guess one of the first things I wanted to ask you, um, the world has no shortage of, of bands that do the work of other bands, tribute bands, or whatever you want to call them. But one of the things that, uh, I've noticed uh, in the market is the popularity of the Pink Floyd experience. And, and is there something you can attribute to why the Pink Floyd resonates with fans on such a large scale to the venues you're playing? Um, it's just all about the sheer quality of the music. Um, uh, you know, the 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 passionate fans that this music has has produced over the years and, has, and 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 the way this music has inspired people you know for 40 plus years um uh, I, I know it's, there's a there's an attraction uh with the musicians themselves you know musicians love to play this music and and uh, fans love to hear it played live so it, all these things add up to um the, the popularity of, of pink floyd tribute shows i suppose yeah, and I have to wonder, and maybe I could get your take on this, the visual aspect of the show itself, because we know, you know, people love Led Zeppelin, for example, and there are many working professional Led Zeppelin tribute shows, but I don't know that there's any tribute band out there that goes to the level of the visual performance, obviously, that Pink Floyd warrants. Uh, um, do you think that has is a role in it? Um, it, it obviously plays a part. I mean, if you do, if you produce a Pink Floyd show the way it should be, uh, should be done, uh, you you put on a big spectacular visual presentation to go with the music. Uh, that's what's sort of expected with this music, uh, given what Pink Floyd themselves did back in the day. Mm. Uh, um, whereas with a band like Led Zeppelin or or you know all the similar classic rock bands of of that era, it was sort of more about the individuals. On, on their sort of physical presence on stage, you know the, the people like um, Robert Plant and and, and uh, you know Freddie Mercury from Queen. It was more about that uh, about that sort of aspect of of, of the show. Uh, and and when it comes to a tribute band recreating that sort of music, it's it's more about sort of lookalikes and right. uh, you know and and that that obviously works in a different way, but it doesn't sort of lend itself to doing things on such a grand scale. I think yeah. uh, you know you know it. it doesn't sort of feel right going into ice hockey arenas and big halls and stuff like that uh, with that sort of show in my opinion yeah and you're probably right i mean one of the things that when you think of pink floyd you know as, as a casual fan of all of these bands you don't necessarily think of the individual members so much as the collective unit which you know has obviously been at war with each other for a long time so you know it's it's Really cool. And you guys, um, one of the things I noticed in the American market is that public broadcasting has been, you know, working with you guys um, and airing your shows. And even when you were with the Australian Pink Floyd, um, was that something you guys did on purpose to try to get inroads into the American market? Or how did you, you know, kind of, you don't just show up and play arenas, you know, in the United States? Mm. Was there a, kind of a game plan going in on how you were going to crack the U.S.? Um, I, well, the, we, we, I mean, going back to my days with the Australian Pink Floyd show, the first time I did a substantial tour of the USA was in 2004. Uh, and, um, we, we went to the US and did, you know, tours in the sort of venues you're describing. 
first before we ever sort of had a PBS, um, you know, connection. So uh, it it sort of came the other way around. But, you know, once we sort of got over to the US and, and, uh, you know, talked to promoters and and saw how how things worked, it quickly became clear that, you know, um, producing something for PBS was was very beneficial to us. And it was also worked both ways. The PBS stations loved loved, uh, what we did, uh, provided for them, you know, as a a vehicle to do pledge drives for, uh, for the station and stuff like that so you know it, it definitely quickly became apparent that this was an extremely good way of, of promoting the band and sort of what was one when i went over to brit floyd we've we've in, uh, continued doing that and in fact sort of uh, you know in, increased the efforts to go down that road yeah and i have to say it was it was, a, it was a wise move for you know i think there's a lot of people that are skeptical when you throw the word tribute in front of a band but i know you know, you're leafing through the channels on a Thursday night or something, and, and on is a guy just killing a, a David Gilmore solo, and, and it catches your attention as a rock fan. And you're like, what the heck is this? And, you know, half an hour later, you're in this trance of watching, you know, Shine On Crazy Diamond or something, and, and you're like, wow, this is really, you know, I don't want to say it's a copy, but it's very authentic feeling. And uh, that was a great, a, a great thing. Now, when you guys... You know, you started Pink or Brit Fluid. Um, how do you go about? I mean, the funding that you must need to put on a show of this magnitude. I mean, do you have to, you know, kind of convince bankers and investors to kind of get behind this, or? Um, well, you know, Brit Fluid uh, is sort of uh, um, a, a joint venture between myself and uh, the, the the guy who manages the band and. Uh, he, I suppose he he's the guy who initially took the financial risks on it, you know, so to, to sort of get Brit Floyd launched. But you know, once once we got past that sort of initial launch stage, it's it's quickly, thankfully, got to the stage where it funds itself. You know, yeah. fortunately, you know, we we sell enough tickets to be able to plow the money back into improving the show, and which right. is something that we we always do try and do. You know, we we're always trying to build the show. We're never complacent about it. Right. Um, you know, gradually, year on year, trying to sort of put new things in in there to re- more authentically recreate that Pink Floyd concert experience sure. for people. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the thing with it is, you know, uh, you know, you take a band on a normal path and they play clubs and they get into bigger arenas and halls and things like that and they can afford bigger things but with what you're trying to do you couldn't start out on a shoestring budget uh, and, and do the do the show justice um, your position in the band you do um, mostly the David Gilmore vocal stuff or, or how do you kind of break out the vocal track um well, there's myself and and uh, Ian Cattell, the bass player. We sort of share the lead vocal duties between us. Um, it, fortunately, with Ian, we've got somebody who can uh, both sound like Roger Waters and David Gilmore as well, mm-hmm. which is a, an unusual, an unusual gift. Um, yeah. Uh, he he tends to sort of when it comes to Gilmore sound more appropriate for the more mature the more older Gilmore whereas I my voice works better with the 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 younger Gilmore from the uh the, the you know through that the late sixties and through that throughout the seventies so we sort of split the the vocal duties along that way uh, along those lines. Now, uh, do you do most of the guitar soloing? Is that in your arena? Uh, again, there's another guitar player um, that we tend to share things out um, pretty equally. Um, I, I tend to do all the, the lap steel stuff. You know, that's my sort of particular 
area of expertise, but you know, I, I, I get to do some of the other wonderful Gilmore guitar solos, like the big, epic, comfortably numb guitar solo and uh, the brick in the wall one, you know. So, uh, but uh, you know, Edo, Edo, that's the other guitar player, is a very fine player, and uh, he does a great job of recreating Gilmore very faithfully as well. So, uh, we're, we're lucky to have this pool of musicians available to to do what we do. Now, when you're approaching a solo, I mean, you you have kind of the enviable task of playing such a signature solo is, is comfortably numb. But in some respects, when when David plays it, he has the artistic license to kind of go off and do what he wants to. Not that he always does. But do you feel like you're very bound to playing exactly what's on the record? Um, largely, it, it, it's 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 the main way we sort of recreate this music is we do like to stick pretty closely mm -hmm. to. Uh, mostly the, the the original studio versions, but you know sure. we will so decide to do a, a live version from the Pulse album or the Delicate right. Sound of Thunder, or is there anybody out there? Or in occasionally, even do a solo version, something mm -hmm. uh, more similar to what what Roger Waters would have done in recent years, or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and when it comes to solos themselves, I mean they're almost part of the composition in, in sure. a way. You know, people yeah. are that familiar with them, and when you start deviating from them too much, people sort of you know some people appreciate that but a lot of people they you know they want to hear what they they're familiar with you know down to the last drum fill and sound effect and guitar lick and all the rest of it so um, that, that sort of governs what the way we approach it uh, yeah in a big way yeah and i would imagine that's you know it's one of those solos you know that that everyone you know has almost the entire melody in their head and it's so melodic that you, you know there isn't a lot of room for you know bending a note a different way or something yeah. like that gear wise I mean do you try to use uh, um, do you completely go after David's rig or, or do you have some things that are your own that just kind of give you the sound you need um, it's it's yeah. I, I don't really. It would be quite an undertaking to uh, recreate David Gilmore's touring rig from certainly from from the, the later uh, stages of doing Pink Floyd. And and when you're talking about the the, the vintage equipment, mm. um, you know it's it's not really the most reliable st uh, stuff, especially after all these years. And it's also can be quite large, <laughs> you know, to right. tour with some of it. You know, um, so you know we definitely use up to date modern equipment, but you know the, the the stuff that's out there these days is so incredibly capable that it, even though you're using digital stuff now, it, it it's very very convincingly sounds like the old analog gear, or and you know it sounds like there are valves going on in there, and you've got all the right sort of effect simulations of effects pedals and all the rest of it. So yeah, uh, definitely it's it's modern equipment that we're using. Have you had the opportunity to try the Fender Custom Shop, David Gilmore guitar in particular? Um, I did. Uh, somebody I know did did buy one, and I had a play of it. And uh, you know, yeah, it's it's it certainly looked the part. It was. It, it, there were two different ones you could get. There was the sort of age distressed version, and the sure. and then the 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 sort of more pristine version. This this guy had the uh, the one that was aged to look exactly like Gilmore's mm. uh, Black Strat. And uh, yeah, it, it was it was a nice guitar to play. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I sort of felt it was necessary to sort of rush out and get one for myself. I've got some, you know, some pretty nice strats I've had for quite a long while that I'm, I'm happy with. But it's certainly an interesting guitar to get to pick up and have a go on. Yeah, it's interesting the the, the level of detail they go to with those uh, custom shop uh, recreations that they do is is phenomenal. Um, now on this particular tour, um, you guys are doing a, sh a show in our market in Johnstown, and then you're moving to Pittsburgh 
Um, you're going to be doing Echoes in particular this tour, correct? Yes, yes. Do you yeah. want to talk about how you approach that particular composition? Uh, well, obviously, it, it, it's sort of a, it's quite a big undertaking to to um, you know to uh, perform Echoes in its entirety. You know, the original track was all of the second side of the metal album, so you know we're talking 20 minutes plus to to do the whole thing uh, and it's uh, you know it, it's all about the feel with echoes it's uh, you know it's getting that that's that sort of uh, that amazing slightly la lazy that's that's not maybe not the right word to describe it but I'm, I'm thinking of another word but that to get that sort of feel of uh, when performing echoes is 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 half the half the battle you know to to uh, recreate a song like that faithfully uh, and and yeah you do have to um, uh, it, because it's the age of it, you're talking about much more sort of vintage sound, guitar sounds and keyboard sounds involved. You know, it's just it's it's, it's like far fiesta keyboards being used on that, and and of course that amazing piano through a Leslie cabinet uh, effect that they used when they uh, recorded it originally. So all it's getting all that aspect of it correct, all the sounds and the feel that is the most challenging thing about recreating a song like that. Yes. Now, um, with the rest of the tour, I mean, are there going to be any more kind of classic, uh, you know, kind of deep tracks on the set list, or do you guys try to adhere to sort of, you know, to, to not to be corny, but the Echoes, you know, kind of greatest hits compilation, or how do you approach the set list? Um, there's, I think, you know, you have to recognize the fact that most people out there who are are fans of Pink Floyd are. You know, they know Dark Side of the Moon, they know Wish You Were Here, they know the Wall album, and you know perhaps the Division Bell. Um, fewer fans are familiar with, um, you know, Piper at the Gates of Dawn and Omegumma, etc. So, although we do like to try and represent the, that era of Pink Floyd because it's it's very important, um, it, it, you can't sort of dwell too too long on that that era of it. Otherwise, you you risk losing a, quite a significant proportion of yeah. your audience. You know, so it's a balance. Act. And, and there are obviously certain tracks you're always going to want to play. You're always going to play Wish You Were Here and Comfortably Numb and Another Brick in the Wall and things like that. So sure. it, it's just, as I say, it's a case of, a, of, of leaving a bit of room to represent those earlier e eras of Pink Floyd. Hmm. And how is the set kind of, do you do an intermission in the set or, or what time-wise are we looking at? Uh, we're talking about two and a half hours of music uh, plus a 20-minute break. That's how we normally um, you know, run things. So. Now, uh, Damien, just out of uh, kind of curiosity, I always, I always kind of wonder with with artists that do the kind of work when you're not playing Pink Floyd, what what kind of stuff do you like to cut your chops on? Um, I've always been uh, a big fan of playing acoustic guitar, uh, and uh, you know, and quite different sorts of music from Pink Floyd. Really, I, I, I like to get the chance to play when I can. I, I, I was a uh, very much um, a fan of, of guitarists like Aldi Miola and John McLaughlin yeah. when I was a uh, you know a teenager and discovering all this music. So, in parallel with with um, being into prog rock bands and things and Pink Floyd and and Yes and Russian bands like that, I was also Listening to Aldi Miola and Pat Metheny and and what have you, and so there's sort of two different musicians in there in a way when it comes to myself. And yeah. I like to get, as I say, I I have an acoustic ensemble that when I'm at home I get the chance to do some 
gigs with uh, you know in, in pubs and clubs are not too far away from my, uh, my home town and uh, I get to play with some other members of my family as well when I do that because uh, I have come from quite an extended musical family I've got uh, five brothers and sisters and most of them are musicians as, as well as several nephews and nieces that are musicians as well so oh that's excellent I mean, I, I have to, uh, when you mentioned Rush, I had to think at some point someone's going to be looking at doing one of these types of uh, touring acts for Rush, you know, with the announcement that they're probably going to not tour again. Mm. You know, that's going to leave a big hole in America. So, you know, if you're looking for a second career after Bit Floyd, maybe maybe pick up some Geddy Lee lines. And uh, well, I don't know about Geddy Lee. Um, I, could, I, could, I could tackle the bass, but I couldn't tackle the vocals, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but certainly Ale one. Alex Lifeson, I've always, always been a big fan of his and I used to put an exit stage left the live album and play it from beginning to end when I was about fif uh, 15 years old on guitar. So, Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, you're right about Getty. Getty's, you know, it's funny because all the criticism of, of Getty Lee at the beginning of their career was his voice, but that's the one thing that, you know, you can't replace. Well, that and the drums and the guitar, I mean, they're such irreplaceable musicians, so. Well, I want to wish you guys the best. We'll see you here. You're coming in early March. As I said, you're playing the Johnstown War Memorial and then the Benetton Center in Pittsburgh. So plenty of chances to see Brett Floyd in early March then. Well, thank you, Damien, for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Alright, a big thanks once again to Damien Darlington of Brit Floyd. Again, Brit Floyd will be in Johnstown March 3rd, uh, Pittsburgh at the Benetton Center on the 4th and the 5th. Uh, two shows I had looked earlier today, uh, recording this the very 1st of February. Uh, very, very few seats left for the Friday show. So if you're interested, uh, you might want to look at Saturday uh, or wait till next time. Uh, they were at Stage AE the last time they were through for a big outdoor show, so it was really cool. Um, so you want to check this out uh, again uh, they have a video live at Red Rocks you can check it on their website there's some clips from that uh, and uh, again it's BritFloyd.com I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen we're at IronCityRocks.com also Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram are all whatever forward slash IronCityRocks you can email us at IronCityRocks at gmail.com we answer each and every email we get also want to give an update on the Pittsburgh Music Awards, the PMAs. We'll be announcing those winners very, very shortly. I want to thank the thousands of you that took the time to vote for Western Pennsylvania's best uh, rock, uh, local rock bands and blues bands. So we're going to give you that information. We're getting a lot of people asking when we're going to release that, and we have been tallying and uh, cleaning up the voting, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, when we announced the voting, it was one vote for a person, so a lot of folks didn't quite take that to heart, so we had to 
unfortunately cast a few uh, ballots aside for that infraction. So word to the wise next year, don't vote nine, ten times. Uh, And again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.